everyone and welcome to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises one movie and one episode at a time as always i'm your host mike snoonian and i have a special guest with us today you've heard her on a number of our episodes already she's been on i'm trying to think the last time we had you on was probably during texas chainsaw yep excellent repping 2022 X, that's right, because uh, someone had to. Um, so one of these days we're going to get you on for like an A-list movie, like one of the real... That's not my life. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Welcome back to the show from the Geeks Who Eat podcast, Sarah Stubbs. Sarah, how are we? I'm good. I'm good. We were talking a little off air. How are you weathering the blistering like 120 degree heat in Arizona right now? I am hiding under shade, air conditioning, and not going out if it's sunlight hours. No. So you're a vampire, basically, is what. Yeah, that's that's how summer. summer. My husband's a lizard, and he loves it. He takes the girls, like, into the backyard to mm -hmm. go hose them down and play with them. And I'm just like, he's like, come come stand with me. And I'm like, no, No. that's okay. No. I, I had made, like, a promise to myself like oh i'm gonna do like 30 minutes of gardening or yard work a day this summer because it wasn't like brutally hot like most of june and then july hit and it's just been like 90 something degrees and humid every day and i'm like meh i'm like that yard yard looks pretty good right now as long as i mow it every couple weeks we're good yeah, my uh, I'm I'm in the master gardener program here, and last year I was like, I'm gonna do a summer garden. I'm gonna because you can technically garden in Arizona in the summer. It's a little rough, but you can't. And I was like, I, I got like two weeks in, and I was like, Nope, I'm out. This is not my life. Let it die. Oh, and if I remember correct, you're a runner. I I try. Right. <laughs> not so we've lately. talked before. Okay. I have to imagine you cannot do that in this. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like justify and figure out a space to get like a treadmill into our house so Mm -hmm. that I can continue to do that. But it's just like real hard, like the layout of our house. And I don't want to put it like in my guest room. And there's just a whole bunch of trying to figure out where it'll work. And I haven't figured that out yet, but you know, we had a really mild June, like, like you, we were like, oh, wow, summer's not going to be that bad this year. It was still, you know, in the like 70s at nighttime. And so we were mm-hmm. like, okay, wow, that's not too bad. Nope. Now it's like 90 yeah. at night. Like the cool, the low here is in the 80s, yep. which is awful. Yeah, that sounds terrible. And what's funny, my wife is from the UK and she and our my daughter, like our daughter, they're over there right now visiting family. And they're experiencing a heat wave where it gets to be like 72 degrees. Like what everybody else in the world would say, like, 
what a beautiful spring summer day like 72 sunny no humidity and everybody is losing their minds like but they don't have a lot of air conditioning over there right because that's not common like you, but you don't even need it i mean i i am one of those i have a fan going all year like i mm-hmm. that's what happens when you grow up in a house with no air conditioning sure is you learn that fans are run at all times forever mm-hmm. And but, no, I, but 72, I wouldn't need it. I would be like no. sleeping with the door open. Yeah. They, they but... won't go outside. It's like 72 degrees and they live like right on the beach and people are leaving the beach. Like it's too hot. Like you gotta be kidding me. Like, yeah, it's God, I wish I, I wish I had that problem. Like it's bananas. So we have spent the first four minutes of the show avoiding <laughs> and, I, and a, maybe a conscious decision on my part. So after, experiencing like cinematic highs with probably the best (laughs) film we've covered to date in Jaws and, you know, having a a, a nice little soft landing with a pretty solid sequel in Jaws 2. We've hit the the beginning of the end here with 1983 Jaws 3 or Jaws 3D as it was known in theaters. But you are here to defend this movie. I I have a total soft spot for this yeah. movie. It's yeah. Oh, this is like childhood core memory. Like I, so, you'll, no one will ever convince me not to love this movie. So let's. And that is not my job today to convince you. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to be like Judas Iscariot and renounce Jesus. <laughs> you know, we're not going to ask you to do that today. Could you? Let's kick things off with maybe tell us the first time you saw. Jaws three oh, and why you have such a soft spot for it. I was, I was like, God, I must have been. I was under, probably, ten years old. Like I was, that that seems about where it was. And my mom, you know, my mom was. I grew up in a house where my mom did not let me watch slasher movies. It wasn't that I wasn't allowed. She just would not pay for it. So, like, if I saw him at a friend's house, cool, whatever. This meant that I was fed a steady diet of universal horror and creature features. Mm -hmm. And so my mom would buy me VHS tapes. And I remember getting the Jaws movies. And Jaws I saw when I was, like, the original I saw when I was six. And I remember being so terrified and it was so scary. And I was like, oh, so hardcore, Jaws. You know, and then I saw the sequel. And then Jaws 3. And it like, there's something that like, it's an adult movie, but it feels like it's made for kids because like the whole sea world, like, you know, underwater. And now mind you, when I saw it, I didn't know it was 3D. I just saw Jaws 3. So you get like these little random popping out things Mm -hmm. and it just felt like at 10 years old, like this was such a cool movie. And then you have the guy who gets like swallowed by the shark but doesn't immediately die, which is like one of my worst like fears ever is drowning. So like that to me is like the worst death ever is like not being killed by the shark, but having to like suffocate in its mm-hmm. belly or mouth actually. Cause it doesn't eat, you don't even go to the belly, but like, there's just like so much like goofiness about this yeah. movie. And then the well, way the shark, like, you know, just drifts to the window because it's not actually we'll swimming. definitely talk about that. <laughs> Definitely, I have a note here. No, it's funny because you're talking about, you know, a character basically being stuck 
in its teeth. Like in the first movie at the end of Jaws, like there are little bits of quint that are stuck between the shark's teeth as it's kind of making its way towards Brody. And in this one, they can't be bothered. And it's just a whole ass person stuck. Yeah, they're between like, the teeth. they're like, we're just going to like, he's just going to swallow a whole ass person and yeah. he's just going to stay there. And when he's like trying to swim to get out of the mouth, but it's like opening and close. That was like worst fears personified as a child. Like still as an adult, I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. Right. But it's just such a fun movie. <laughs> when you were rewatching it for the show this time, were you struck by the fact like that character in that movie that is like the English explorer? Were you struck by the fact that like Aaron Eckhart traveled back in time 40 years to right. play that yeah. role? <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, so I, I think how, the cast is I like the cast of this movie oh yeah though. we uh, we'll talk about the cast and what they get from the cast I think so this has <laughs> that warm and fun nostalgia for you was Absolutely. there a re- reason your mom was okay with like bloody shark slasher movies but not say she, like a because my mom didn't like knives and didn't like seeing like people getting cut like my mm-hmm. mom had a weird aversion to like knife wounds like you could like in a movie you could stab someone but if you're slashing like a throat or like mm-hmm. a wrist or an arm or something my mom had this weird like and, and it wasn't just horror that she didn't like that any movie that had that she was like oh no ooh, close my eyes can't watch it okay so and no so she slashing. just didn't so I, I I didn't watch my first slasher movies until probably middle school mm-hmm. when I started watching like Joe Bob on like Monster Vision and okay. or seeing like movies on like TBS and TNT. Like I think the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I ever saw was Wes Craven's New Nightmare mm-hmm. on cable. So I didn't even get like the full experience of it. Mm-hmm. I got like the cable version and I saw Halloween, Halloween h2o was the first slasher movie i saw in the theater got it okay and that was like i said my mom didn't my mom didn't care about the content so much as that she just didn't want to pay for it sure like so if i went to a friend's house and i watched you know freddy krueger she wasn't she was gonna be mad at me she just didn't want to pay for it got it got it so i get that okay i can i can respect that that kind of like she I'm wanted the cl- gonna she wanted me to have like that upbringing of like what she considered to be good horror before I started getting into what she considered the schlock. Okay. So she knew the schlock was coming at some point and she wanted to shield you from it. I mean, she, she, she really, you know, I mean, one of the first movies I ever saw was house on haunted Hill. Mm -hmm. So like with Vincent price. And so like that, like was formative. Like that was a, Oh my God, this is so terrifying. Give me more. So, and I could see where, if that is your experience, like the House on Haunted Hill, that kind of like schlocky, jokey, like let's wink at the audience type of William Castle type or House of Wax, all of that. I could totally see where a movie like this would have its appeal because it kind of feels like it is like a descendant of that William Castle mold Mm -hmm. and that it's a definitely a B movie that is not taking itself very seriously at all. And that is only enhanced by the very dated 3d that they're (laughs) using here. Yeah. My experience I think was similar to yours as a kid in 
my dad, I remember watching this at home in like the basement on the basement television. That's kind of where we had like our family movie watching where we'd watch movies and like, it was going to be probably like the network premiere of it. And I, I have like vague memories of my dad bringing home 3d glasses for it. Like it would be announced in the newspaper, like jaws three is going to make its TV debut go to your local like Demoulis supermarket and pick up your 3d glasses today and him doing that. Although it may have been for the creature of the black lagoon, which I know was like re-released in 3d and on like home in homes for 3d. And it was those like cheap redded green cardboard 3d glasses, (laughs) which you would put them on and be like, I don't want to watch a movie like this for two hours and take them (laughs) off immediately. Um, I mean, I feel I, like for a black and white movie, though, the red and like those those like dual color 3D glasses are probably less offensive than like with something as colorful as, you know, Jaws 3, because Jaws 3 does have a very bright color palette, which the first two movies, even in the happier moments, mm-hmm. they're still not that bright. They're all yeah. kind of muted. And and maybe that's because you're looking at it through like Brody, who mm-hmm. is kind of you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a curmudgeon. Like he's, he's a piece of shoe leather is what he is. Yeah. It's, like, but like this movie is chain smoking definition of seventies man, basically. Yeah. But this one, like Jaws three is so vibrant. Like, like the, the sea world scene is bright. And like the water skiers all have like their very bright costumes. And so I, I feel like also tonally, this one is definitely yeah. not, it doesn't quite tonally fit with the, the first two movies. Oh no, it's a very sharp break. It is a very, and not just like the change in, and even though Jaws 2 like was filmed mostly in Pensacola, Florida, so really not far from where Jaws 3 is shot, like I know that they made great pains to do a lot of the exterior shooting in Martha's Vineyard again in order to kind of match the look of the first movie. And now you have like a very clear and distinct like break from that coming up. So you're right in that it it feels like let's make a sharp left turn. And let's talk about that sharp left turn (laughs) here for a minute. And let's talk about some of the choices that were made when it comes to Jaws 3D. Now, when this movie was originally, obviously after Jaws 2, like Jaws 2 is a massive hit. Um, and it's funny, as you record this, today is like the, I guess, the 40th anniversary of Jaws 3 hitting theaters, July 22nd, uh, 1983. So it's 40 years old. And there was like an article on Fangoria.com like this morning defending this movie and it it starts but it starts with a very flawed premise it starts with the premise that like jaws 2 was a disappointment in terms of like the box office and jaws 2 when it was released like the expectation was like if we do a third of what jaws did like that will be a huge success and it ends up grossing over 200 million dollars worldwide more than any sequel had to that point until Rocky two a year later. And then empire strikes back uh, two years after that. It was, you know, we lived at a time where like sequels were not expected to do nearly as well. If you would even get a sequel at all. 
Interesting. David Brown and Richard Zanuck are asked once again, let's come up with an idea for a Jaws movie. And at this point, they're like, they're kind of like John Carpenter after Halloween 2. He's like, we really have nowhere else to take the, again, like, (laughs) just like Jaws 2 comes out a few months before Halloween, you have like Zanuck and Brown kind of like saying like, we have nowhere else to take the shark at this point. We've done everything we can do on Amity. Um, They know that Roy Scheider is not coming back. Like when Scheider is asked about returning for a third Jaws movie in an interview, like, why didn't you come back for Jaws 3? He just starts laughing at the question and says, Metastopheles himself couldn't convince me to sign (laughs) on. They They knew enough then to even ask me to join up for this. So Zanuck and Brown are like, well, what if instead of making another straightforward like horror movie or adventure movie, what if we make a spoof movie? And as weird as that might sound at first blush, like we're coming at a time when like National Lampoons is in the zeitgeist. Uh, Saturday Night Live is probably enjo- enjoying like they're, they're enjoying their first run and like hit or, hitting like the cultural peak. Isn't this like also like when like the Harvard Lampoon books like mm-hmm. were kind of becoming popular, like Board of the Rings and all of that kind of stuff? Like, wasn't that like around this it's period exactly as well? That. Exactly that. And it's also, you know, 1980 is a time when a little movie called Airplane hits theaters and on like a $3 million budget does $180 million worldwide. Wow. So it wouldn't have been unheard of to do kind of like a movie that lampoons the genre. Again, it's what scary movie would be to scream years down the road, but probably done better than any of those movies have been done. (laughs) So their idea is like, let's do a movie called Jaws three people zero, which is probably one of the best (laughs) titles I've ever heard for a movie. And I'm not going to lie. I did a little bit of digging found a script for it and i'm thinking at some point we need to do like a reading of this script for the podcast (laughs) so the script is written by uh not super well known at the time but john hughes who's writing for national lampoon and harvard lampoon like he's writing for national lampoon he's about to really take off with like national lampoon's vacation What's your relationship with John Hughes in terms of like John Hughes movies in the 80s? Were you someone that kind of grew up on those movies and they hold a special place? I'm kind of in the middle. Like Mm -hmm. my sisters watched a fair amount of that kind of stuff. But like, so I by proxy have seen a lot of them. And I don't think I would say that I'm like against any of them, but I'm not like, they're not like, the nostalgia bomb. I don't get member mm-hmm. berries from them. Um, you know, I, no. I, I think they're fine. That's kind of yeah. where I'm at. I'm in, it's a sweet spot for me, for sure. I'm someone that didn't really become like a teenager to the late, late eighties. So the, my teenage years are mostly the late eighties, early nineties. But like, I kind of saw a lot of those movies like pre teenager and was, and thought that this is what being a teen was going to be all about um and i think you can make an argument that like aside from say maybe like michael jackson 
Eddie Murphy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, John. If you did a Mount Rushmore, uh, Madonna, Cindy Lauper, um, if you did a Mount Rushmore of persons that had the most most impact on pop culture throughout the 1980s, that you can make a strong argument that John Hughes should be on there from his early work, the vacation movies. You have the breakfast club. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say that that's pretty apt. Like, because when you think of eighties, you think of breakfast club Mm -hmm. and all of those, the high school movies, like that's just, you know, quintessential eighties. And I know there's been like a cultural, there's a reevaluation of Hughes that has occurred since his passing. And because, you know, we expect more of our movies now, like his movies are like, they're very white. They're very suburban. Um, to be middle, to be middle class is to be poor. Basically, like everybody is very rich. You look at the home in, in Kevin in Kevin McAllister and habits in uh, home alone. And it's a palatial estate. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, his and, and it's on like one income. Like yes. his dad's his dad's one income. I, I I've seen a lot of fan theories that like dad must have been like a drug dealer or something. Right. Or he's like he's like a mobster, a secret mobster, because mm-hmm. there's no way you can have that many kids, raise that many kids, right. own a house that big on one income. And go I to hate France. To say it like in the eighties you kinda you could. could. Yeah. Like I know that we were like a one and a half income family in that like my mom owned her own like hair salon with her sisters, but it was like basically a place where they would go and be social. Like it did not bring in a ton, like to the point where when my dad passed away, like she took a different job just for insurance and other reasons. Yeah. But we had like that, not a home alone style house, but a pretty comfortable suburban existence you know and it was not unheard of now we barely scrape by with like two master's degrees and professional jobs it's, it's ridiculous it's, yeah. yeah it's at this point you know you can make six figures and you're still considered what would be middle class oh yeah lower middle class at, at yeah um, and that's and that's not even like considering like places like california where you know you're making if you make the in san francisco I think it, I read somewhere that it's like if you make under a hundred and six thousand dollars annually, you're poverty level. Yeah, I which is insane it. to me. Yeah. I'm like, I can't wrap my head around that because I do not make that much right now. Um, so I would be basically on the streets out there. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, there's there's a reason my husband's company closed their San Mateo office. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So Hughes is tapped to write this movie and Joe Dante was considered to direct it, like coming off the howling and piranha. This is like before he would do gremlins and like in howling is a very funny movie. Like the howling is a great send up of like late seventies, like self-help pop psychology. Uh, that I mean, it has Robert there. Picardo in it also, which oh, yeah. It's awesome. It has America's mom in it with um, <laughs> D. Wallace Stone. So it's going to be a, a spoof movie that lampoons like the first two Jaws movies and really like a spoof of Hollywood itself, like the whole studio system that kind of gives birth to these kind of movies. So it's going to be kind of like pulling back the curtain, kind of like what uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back would do some 20 years later, right? Um 
it was going to have a scene in it where Jaws novelist Peter Benchley would get eaten by a shark in his own swimming pool. <laughs> and at some point, <laughs> at some point, like aliens had become involved and they were going to be disguised as sharks. So, I mean, that's not far off from Jaws the Revenge, where in the novelization, it's voodoo. Yep. In so, a shark that can travel, knows people's <laughs> flight schedules, knows when they're going to turn up. Oh, we'll talk all about that. We'll definitely talk about that. Um, so Universal greenlights the project. It goes into pre-production, but then it gets cold feet. Like first Spielberg writes a letter to head of Universal, his buddy, Sid Scheinberg, saying like, this is a really bad idea. Like this property, it's too important to the studio to make fun of it. Like we shouldn't be doing this. It's fair to note that Spielberg is kind of coming off his first taste of professional failure after like the commercial and box office disappointment of 1941. Uh, the studio feels that it would be soiling the pool that they created. I think is the quote they use. Like we'd be really soiling what we've done here. And Zanuck and Brown are like, well, soil it. Like we should definitely do this. And they feel <laughs> like it would have been a money idea. And I tend to agree with like where the culture was at that time. And with such a hot appetite for comedies that like this would have been ripe. And I think it would have could have done really well. All right. After Zanuck and Brown depart the project and they depart Universal not long after they move over to 20th Century Fox, uh, Alan Landsberg of Alan Landsberg Productions, he would win the rights to he would secure the rights to produce the next Jaws installment. And the problem here is like Landsberg, he's not like a Zanuck and Brown where they have shepherded like dozens of huge projects from script to screen. They have like Oscar wins from movies like the sting. They obviously had like the foresight and patience to make sure that it, despite the hot mess that it took to make the first two jaws movies, they got like amazing products on screen and reap the benefits of it. Landsberg is a guy that works in television and we're not talking like TV now where it's prestige TV and it is every bit is like has the budgets of a large movie and years to develop. He like does these quickie turnaround projects like in search of which is that kind of like docuseries narrated by Leonard Nimoy. He does the <laughs> kind of proto reality show. Uh, that's incredible which I vaguely remember as a kid starring like Caitlyn Jenner uh, after her performance in like the 1980 Olympics. Like she was one of the hosts of the show. Uh, and he does like a little, I don't know if you've ever seen this, like the made for TV movie, Adam. No, I haven't seen that. So it's the Adam Walsh story. It is like where America's most like John Walsh, who would go on to do America's most wanted. Like this was the story of his son being uh, kidnapped and murdered basically. And I remember it being oh. like a really big deal. Like my parents made me watch it um, when it came on. And I remember like they told me the story of the kid and I got really excited thinking they were going to show like a kid's like severed head on television, oh, which no. they did not do uh they did not <laughs> but this is the world that landsberg is coming from um they hire richard matheson to write a new script 
which is a great idea in theory. Like Matheson is the writer behind uh, I Am Legend, The Legend of Hell House, a number of classic Twilight Zone episodes. Matheson is like, we need to do a complete break from these first two movies. Like we got to get it out of Amity. And his idea is like, have the shark kind of like trapped in this tunnel system where it can kind of navigate from tunnel to tunnel. So you're trapped in there with it. And also like, let's introduce a second shark antagonist as well. Like let's have, we've already done one shark. Let's have multiple sharks. He does not want the Brody kids as part of the story and says, this is forced on him by the studios. And to quote Matheson, it's not my idea that the sheriff's sons would be in it. The idea that these that the two guys being Brody's sons was forced on me thought it was ridiculous. They go all the way down to Florida and have the same damn shark problem down there. The fourth one was really inadequate. It was like the shark had been to Oxford. He was now smart enough to chase them all the way down to the Bahamas. So so he turns in a script and it's com- it's rewritten. I think Gordon Trueblood eventually gets like the story credit for this. Uh, Carl Gottlieb does another polish on the script as he done with the first two movies, trying to add character development to it. And we'll talk about whether that works, but let's talk 3D. That's the big gimmick here, right? We've mentioned it. Yeah. Um, at this time, like 3D is coming back into vogue in theaters. And I chalk this up to studios seeing the rise of things like cable television and you mentioned like getting these movies on videotape for your home vcr like that's Mm -hmm. a new thing like it used to be that like movies would run in theaters for as long as humanly possible maybe they would get re-released a couple years later but then if you wanted to watch them you had to like catch them on tv every now and again and that was it kind of they kind of fell into the void yeah Like it wasn't, you know, like it is now where you have a streaming platform where you can always have a movie Mm -hmm. at your fingertips. And I mean, even what's funny, though, is even this movie is not as prevalent on streaming as I would have thought it was. Like, I was like, wow, I can't stream this anywhere on a service that I have. I have to like I have to pull out the Blu-ray like. I think it ran on Max for a long time. I think there is the the whole franchise was on Netflix for a Mm -hmm. while. Like, I remember, because I used to, the Jaws franchise is kind of, well, the first three, I don't ever watch the fourth one, but mm-hmm. the first three, I would just turn on. Like, those yep. are, like, they're comfort movies. Like, they're like, oh, I'm working on something. Let me turn on a movie to have noise. Jaws it is. Mm-hmm. And it's, so, yeah. Isn't it weird that they're universal movies, but they're not on Peacock? They are. That's they where are this now. one is. Okay. Yeah. That's and I don't I don't subscribe to Peacock because frankly it just doesn't have enough on it to justify the price for me. Okay. Like I either own the movies or it's also streaming elsewhere. I think so, we have it for Murder She Wrote and Columbo. I have the point. Murder She Wrote DVD box set. Oh my lovely. husband my husband gave that to me a few years ago mm-hmm. for Christmas because I am a I'm a Jessica Fletcher stan. So. Howard through every episode not yet i i okay. think after my horror movie challenge ends it on halloween november december is gonna be like i'm gonna go hard under the murder she wrote excellent there are some like number one all the horror cameos i mean they get some yeah. like adrian barbeau they get like olivia hussey 
They get uh, uh, Clue Gulliger shows up a bunch in episodes, mm-hmm. but they had like one episode that takes place at a ski lodge and it's like a straight up slasher. Movie. It's like a Giallo movie. Basically, nice. like I think the killer even wears like black gloves during it and you get POV shots of him. There's like multiple murders, which is rare for a murder she wrote episode. They just like, started. There's a whole new book series about like Jessica Fletcher's like niece. Oh, and boy. They're, schola- they're scholastic. So they're meant for young readers, which I think is amazing. I'm like, that's. Is there murder in these books? I think so. That's I amazing. It's kind of like, it reminds me, because I bought it, but I haven't read it yet. It kind of just mm-hmm. by the description reminds me of like a Christopher Pike kind of R.L. Stein kind of vibe. Like that's the the YA vibe that I'm getting from yeah, it. I'm definitely writing Murder, She Wrote kids books right now down <laughs> to like dig these up later. I own not one, but two Jessica Fletcher. I I killed them. I killed them all t-shirts, one in orange and one in purple. So which nice. is like one of them. And I always get like that shirt's awesome. Like people get it. Like they see that and they get it. Um, but don't sleep on Columbo. That's what I'm no, I, I definitely gonna, I, I love old mysteries. So yeah. I, that was another thing. My mother, you know, force fed me growing up. And so now I'm obsessed like anything Hercule Poirot, Miss Marple, all Mm -hmm. of it. My wife is the same. So you essentially and my wife are the same person. Probably. Uh, Yeah. I I, I get that a lot. (laughs) Rachel Reeves, one of our co-hosts is the same. So that is like a a triumvirate right there. Excellent. (laughs) Uh, All right. On to 3D. So Universal wants to do this movie in 3D. Um, They, it's funny, like Joe Alves was shown test footage that was created by uh, John Landis and the original director of uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon, Jack Arnold. Like they had an idea that they were going to reboot this movie and do it in 3D. And they actually show test footage of it. And they bring this footage over to Universal Studios. Um, They were going to call it uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon. And Sid Sheinberg from Universal sees it loves it, thinks it's totally workable and it's going to make people go to theaters and says, but why are we going to make a creature of the black lagoon movie? Like that's a dead property. Who cares? Why don't we take this technology that we can use it for another jaws movie? And I think Landis's quote was like, instead of making my creature of the black lagoon movie, they made that piece of shit. So, (laughs) and look, I know that, I know that John Landis is not the best person to say it lightly. You know, like there have been a lot of bad directors that have done like terrible things, but not all of them can put like killed three people on an unsafe set on their resume. Like that is. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, you know, Oh, what is it? Fathering Max Landis. That too. Mm hmm. And, I mean, and then you have disaster. then you have a fair amount of casual '80s racism in the movies, you know, not oh, like. Um, just, yeah, I, I mean, think that's more of an '80s issue than an Landis issue. Fair. Um, I, you know, he worked with Eddie Murphy three times to varying degrees yeah. of partnership. Um, Eddie Murphy famously hated Landis on the set of. <laughs> coming to america i think like eddie murphy actually said 
after coming to America, uh, Vic Morrow has a better chance of working with John Landis again than I do, which Vic Morrow, of course, died in the tragic accident on. Oh, no. Yes. So I almost said Vic Tayback there, who was the star of the <laughs> show, Alice. Very different person. I have a soft spot for Landis. I won't lie. American Werewolf was my, one of my favorite movies of all time. Animal House, Trading Places, Three Amigos. Yeah. Not necessarily the best person in the world, but I don't know. Well, it's movies. always hard because you fall in love with these movies like yeah. as a kid and you don't know any of this. Yeah. Like so and, it's and hard it's very hard sometimes. It's not hard to separate art from the artist. It's hard or it is hard to sometimes right. do that. But it's but also I feel like it's harder to separate nostalgia yeah like to like not be able to like because like when you grow up with something loving something it's it's hard to like take away all that good i i feel like landis also really went out of his way to kind of reinvent himself as like america's movie loving uncle like you see him (laughs) in every every documentary about movies, like he would make an appearance in, and he was so exuberant and well-spoken and joyous and funny that like, I did not know that stuff about him at the time. And I remember like some, and we'll talk more about this when we do our saw series, saw two in particular, like driving to see him speak at a Fangoria convention and seeing him interact with fans and being like, completely gracious and kind to everybody and like him like writing a letter back to a friend of mine when she was getting into filmmaking she wrote him a letter asking questions and he like hand wrote her a letter back answering everything and encouraging her so again like you know we were talking off air about complicated legacies like not to detract even more (laughs) just i'm putting off talking about this movie okay Sorry. Joe Alves, he's tapped to direct the movie. He had been the production designer on the first two Jaws films. He would go on to get nominated for an Oscar for his production design work on Close Encounters. He works with Carpenter twice, uh, once before and after this movie, on Escape from New York and also on Starman. Like He's extremely well-respected as a production designer, and now he wants to make the next step. This would be the only thing he would direct. So like this killed his career before it started. Okay. Unlike the first two Jaws movies, it's not shot in the open water. It's shot on the ta- in tanks at SeaWorld Orlando. It makes shooting much, much easier, makes the prop sharks more manageable, comes in like at or under budget. And SeaWorld Orlando, they're more than happy to host the filming of this movie. They're like, this would be great. Like they have a bunch of their acts that are filmed like it's they see it as like a giant advertisement for SeaWorld and it's funny because like the, what is the documentary on SeaWorld that kind of exposes is it Blackwater Blackfish. Blackfish. Blackfish okay and it exposes like all of the unsavory practices like this movie you know SeaWorld is like we should not have done this because like it depicts the park as a place where the employees like get smashed on company property and then like <laughs> just like fucking all the theme park rides, you know? So you're as a P 
patron, you're sitting in someone's like come basically when you go. Like that's not what SeaWorld's looking for, right? Um, I mean, they, they also there's also the commentary of like them bringing the shark in and yeah, not it, listening. They and just cares. Yeah, and they care about the bottom dollar yep. only. And you know, yeah. Lewis Gossett Jr. is like, put the shark out. Yeah. And, and also the fact that like its patrons are in mortal danger when they step onto the property. <laughs> so SeaWorld is like, we shouldn't have done this. SeaWorld also famously landlocked in Orlando and nowhere near the ocean. Like the beach <laughs> is a two hour drive from Orlando if you go visit Florida. So how the shark gets in there in the first place is it defies geography. All right. It goes despite, through the sewers. Come on. Despite <laughs> all of this, and despite the fact that it gets like a, like a zero rating on Rotten, like it's skewered in the press and skewered in reviews. It does make $80 million on an $18 million budget. So commercial it is still, success. It is still a. <laughs> commercial success and it proves pd like i barbie's only been out for a day so it's hard to really it's going to make like 150 million this weekend i almost say like if you translate the 80 million dollars of jaws 3 to like modern day numbers if it makes barbie money like this would be on par with that but <laughs> barbie's gonna have some legs i think beyond this weekend so yeah Barbie is shockingly one of the best movies I've seen all year. Cannot yeah, it's it. it's it's right now it's sitting at the top of my top 10 not horror list. I can't fault anybody for putting it there. Like so, it's that good. It's yeah. so good. Did not expect as a 48-year-old man to be saying that today, but you know. I mean, movies. I expected I expected to like Barbie. I did yeah. not expect to love barbie i that's exactly it that, that it, is, like i did not expect the obsession to be that real mm -hmm. yeah it makes me just want to go out and buy some figures right now and start playing i but... i want to buy a barbie doll so bad Excellent. <laughs> marketing works all right let's talk about this movie so you hit it on the head earlier like could you talk about this movie not being part of the canon now okay so like, basically, from the research I have done, because I, I always go down deep rabbit holes of Wikipedia, mm -hmm. this movie is technically not considered canon. If you look at the marketing material for Jaws the Revenge, there's a reason they don't say Jaws 4. And that's because they when they marketed Jaws the Revenge, they ignore this movie mm -hmm. altogether. This did not happen. They don't you know, if you, when you watch Jaws the Revenge, they, they don't talk, like, there's no acknowledgement of um, Mike ever working for SeaWorld, the girlfriend doesn't exist, mm -hmm. Sean didn't go to Denver, or go back to Denver, like, he was always in Amity being, you know, an islander. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, like, they kind of just, like, disregard this movie altogether, which I think is tragic. I think it is a travesty against cinema. I, I think this movie, like I said, this movie is what it is. Like, I love this movie. When I was a kid, it had Louis Gossett Jr. And when I was a kid, Louis Gossett Jr. was so cool. You had him in Iron Eagle. I was a big Firewalker fan. 
mm-hmm. because my mom showed me that movie. Don't watch Firewalker today by today's standards. It well, I've is never cringy. seen Firewalker, so explain it's, why we should not watch this movie. It's it's a cringy canon movie. I mean, it's pretty. I it it's pretty racist by today's standards. Mm-hmm. It's I, it's not like intentionally racist, but it is very culturally insensitive, and it's also a Chuck Norris movie. Like mm-hmm. enough said. But it's it was one of those movies that I grew up watching and loving. And so to see, you know, Lewis Gossett Jr. in this, I was like, oh, I'm excited for this one. And, you know, so I, I like this one a lot. <laughs> this is, yeah. Jaws 3 is just a, such a soft spot. Like, you've got Leah Thompson in it. You've Dennis Quaid. Like, yeah. dolphins. So, can I ask <laughs> a question then? Obje- like, being objective. Like, looking at this cast... And you have like Lewis Gossett Jr. And let's talk a little about them one by one. He is coming off an Oscar for his portrayal of like an army sergeant, like a drill sergeant and an officer and a gentleman. And I did a little bit of a dive into like, what are some performers who won an Oscar and then completely made terrible choices? like for their kind of like follow up or near follow up projects. Like where does this, cause this is a pretty big fall, right? I mean, like, yeah, it, I mean, I objectively, this is not the best jaws movie. Mm-hmm. It's not even the second best jaws movie. Like from a critical standpoint, it is my favorite, but it is How, not the best. Where does it rank in terms of like quality of shark movies? For shark movies in general, mm-hmm. oh, I've watched a lot of really bad shark movies, so this That's is pretty quest. high. Okay. This is pretty. I would say this is top five. Better for me. than forty-seven meters down. No. Okay, good. Better than Deep Blue Sea. Mm, it depends on the day. Really? Because I I really like Deep Blue Sea, but I I may nostalgia may like eke out ahead in my bias on this one does having ll cool j (laughs) does having lewis gossett jr and ll cool j and did they cancel one another out as like bald men i mean they play different characters though because lewis gossett jr plays a very unlikable character Mm -hmm. in jaws 3 whereas ll cool j is my favorite character in deep blue sea so i i don't know like if jaws 3 ended with lewis gossett jr rapping over the credits would it be the greatest (laughs) shark movie of all time maybe Okay. Maybe. Maybe we better think about it. At that point, you have like, well, Spielberg doing a Hitchcockian riff on man versus nature. And then Lewis Gossett Jr. like doing his best run DMC. (laughs) Oh my God. Here's here's what I came up with for other actors that have like gone on to win an Oscar and then made some questionable choices. Like, well, when Michael Caine. Like, oh, right? Because, yeah. like, oh, wasn't, he, wasn't he filming, like, didn't he miss an awards show because he was filming that Jaws is correct. 4? You know what? Like, I missed that one on this list. And I think on a technicality, because <laughs> technically he hadn't won the Oscar. He was filming the movie for, uh, he had won for Hannah and her sisters. Uh, I think Michael Caine, like, at a certain point in the 80s was like, just a sure, fuck it, I'll do it. 
Um, he has been very outspoken that Jaws the Revenge was the the movie that paid for the like mm-hmm. house yes. or the driveway or yeah. something is his I've, quote. I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the house it built and it's spectacular. <laughs> and I can only, I wish I could do a Michael Caine because I can hear him say that. And it sounds like anybody else that would say that you'd be like, oh, you dick, like you entitled rich asshole. Michael Caine says it. And I'm like, yeah, that, that tracks. It works. I mean, I think anyone who's seen Jaws the Revenge yeah. would agree. Yeah. Off topic, but Michael Caine in Muppets Christmas Carol. Best best Christmas Carol performance ever. I he agree. Is, he is Ebenezer Scrooge with the exception of Alistair Sims. Yeah, I agree. But my question was, do you think he's high on peyote that whole movie and thinks the Muppets are real? Because I choose to believe that i choose to believe that he is absolutely high as a kite that whole movie i i think from a gastro horror expert like myself i think he just ate i think it's like in a christmas carol i think it's all the result of a bat uh like some a blob of bad mustard excellent you know what love there's it. more there's more gravy than grave i love that you kept that on point with the christmas carol i absolutely all right, we may have to have you on in December when we do a Muppet Christmas Carol as our Hell Christmas yeah. episode this year. That like, will be my a that will be my A list. Okay, Stephen and I <laughs> are committed to doing that this year. I so. can I can talk forever on that one. <laughs> and I am penciling that in. Last year we did "It's a Wonderful Life." It's going to be like my like Bruce Campbell in Congo <sighs> moment. Where it's like my one A-list movie, but it's not really horror. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So I had Halle Berry for winning in for Monsters Ball in 2002, but then doing Catwoman pretty oh, much right after that. that so bad. Right? Oh. Cuba Gooding Jr. does Jerry Maguire. Then he does a movie called Boat Trip, which... It's like extremely homophobic and like Roger Ebert is like, this movie is not only offensive to like queer people, but it's offensive to everybody just by existing. Like, just I don't think on. I've ever even heard of that movie. Yeah, it's he's probably, he's probably purchased every copy of it and has had them <laughs> destroyed. Um, F. Murray Abraham going from winning in Amadeus to starring in movies like National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon. Uh, and appearing in Muppets in Space. Uh, and then I had Roberto Bengini for Life is Beautiful to his version of Pinocchio, which critics were like cruel to to the point of being a hostile and in, in, in sorry, they were being hostile to it to the point of like cruelty to the person, like making the attacks almost personal. I remember that movie coming out, but I never watched it. Yeah, me neither. Like it just never. Mm-hmm. I feel like a realistic version of Pinocchio mm-hmm. is not what I want to see. Yeah. I, I like the Disneyfied, mm-hmm. like, you know, Pinocchio doesn't hang himself from a tree kind of situation. Agreed. Like, I don't need that in my kids' movies. So what is Gossett Jr. doing here as Bouchard? Is he really, is he just a stand-in for Mayor Vaughn? Like, he's the guy that, you know, yes. minus the cool sport coats. Like, he has... Just the guy that is like, we are here to turn the wheels of capitalism, basically. Yeah, I would I would say he's he's the Mayor Vaughn replacement. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he's having a good time. He's he's a little 
little cooler. I feel yeah. like he's, I feel like Mirvan is funnier to watch and I, mm-hmm. I want him to fail, but Bouchard is like, I don't know. I, I wanted to eat dinner with him in the cool oh, restaurant. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Oh, that scene is so good though. Come on. When the shark is like, when they see the shark in the window at the restaurant, come on. Yeah, I think then Dennis Quaid just yells, there it is. Like, it just melts it and they're all, yeah. Speaking of Dennis Quaid, we know we talked about Michael Caine, joked about him being high during the filming of A Muppet Christmas Carol. But no joke, like Dennis Quaid is on the record of saying he was in the throes of a decade-long cocaine addiction and that like every frame, like just know this, when you watch Jaws 3, Every second that you see Dennis Quaid on camera, he is high on cocaine. Every single I feel like that doesn't surprise me. No, because it's like a wide-eyed manic. Like that scene of him like driving the golf cart and then tipping out of it and then like running off. Like he is frantic but getting nowhere throughout this movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I didn't like think of it that way, but yeah. Yeah. Huge cocaine energy throughout this movie for him. It's crazy. Do you, I kind of feel like they wanted Dennis Quaid in the 80s to become like Harrison Ford 2.0. And it never really happened for him. Yeah, and I think especially with this movie, it didn't really build him as a good hero so much mm-hmm. as like a man who should have listened to his girlfriend the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Like, like if they had all listened to the woman, this is one of those prime examples of if you listen to the woman, you wouldn't all be in this mess. Like how out of curiosity, how so in this case, because they took the baby. If they had left the shark baby alone, because remember they, they talk about that whole thing. Like they, they assume that this is the baby of mama shark. Mm hmm you left the baby alone the shark wouldn't be attacking okay. and she said don't capture like they she wanted to study but like don't kill it like don't right like i i just i feel like in general this was a very much like if they hadn't taken this shark in for more than just like tagging it and studying it like See, i just thought that like mama shark wasn't necessarily coming after her baby she just kind of made her way through the tunnels and that the whole um baby shark storyline it's really a way to like get this movie over like 60 minutes look because if you cut the stuff with the baby shark out you have like a made for television yeah episode you could do this in a solid 45 minutes i always assumed that it had nothing to do with the brodies and everything to do with mama shark is Mm -hmm. pissed off well I will agree with you that like the movie it should have focused on Bess Armstrong her character more like Dr. Catherine Morgan the she yeah. a marine biologist I guess so that's what she must yeah. be right? okay is that what George Costanza wanted to be I he am not a Seinfeld. He was I was not architect? a Seinfeld watcher okay. never okay but I wanted but to be fair by 4th grade I was cons- I was like convinced I was going to be a marine biologist which maybe because is of why Josh I three? No, just in general. I like, we went, we did this field trip called Sea Lab when, because I lived in California in fourth grade and we went on a boat and they, you know, they, they dragged up a bunch of sea life for us to look at. And then, 
they put water into like a projector so we could see like the plankton Mm -hmm. and all that. And I was convinced marine biology was going to be it for me. Later, I learned that I suck at science and math. Okay. So none of that is going to be off that path. Science and math. Okay. Algebra, you know, middle school algebra. That was what convinced me that, nope, that's surely not my path in life. Let's go with history. Why would you need algebra for marine biology, though? Because there's algae. (laughs) Sorry. Um, You know, math is is not my strong suit, period. Ever. Same. I, I would say that like this movie should have focused on her character more like because you don't need Dennis Quaid doesn't need to be in this movie like Sean Brody doesn't he need to be in, this in movie. the dang shark pool just so he can help her like come mm-hmm. on she was she was good on her own she didn't yeah. need him she nope. didn't need no man no <laughs> and like she's for a lot of the you know she plays the more heroic part in a lot of it like she's the one actually in the water you know, trying to tag the shark and he's like sitting up on the dock, you know, holding his lady's jacket in for all because he's not going in there. So Jaws and, 3 is and she's like, I'm going, movie. she's like, I'm going to Venezuela without you or with you, but mm-hmm. I don't need you. I don't need no man. And I, I like other, that. That's my I, other. Okay. Big problem I have with this book is <laughs> not that, not that part, not that she's like, <laughs> Not, that. not the feminist um, uh, I don't need no man moments. No, no, we're okay with that. We are totally <laughs> totally okay with that. Um it's a lot of times like a lot of the things they focus on are really boring. And it it feels like it has to sacrifice like action for character development. And you know, when you think of the first Jaws movie, they describe it as like a pure A to B picture, meaning when they took the script and they took Benchley's novel, they took everything out of it that didn't propel the story forward. They got rid of the mob storyline because they didn't need it. They got rid of uh, Ellen Brody having an affair with Hooper because they felt yeah. like that made Hooper unlikable and also just added to the runtime. Like did we, we don't need this. They cut it out. And here it feels like there's a lot of fat. You know, the whole thing with like Mike and Catherine, like, oh, I got this job in Venezuela, but you're here and I'm going to be gone for a year and a half. And maybe you should come with me and give up all of your dreams. And I'm kidding when I say it, but really I'm not. And like, you know, I'm like, will Mike learn Spanish? Will he go to Venezuela? Uh, All the (laughs) stuff with like his brother, where they're like, following his brother and Leah Thompson's character around the park to see if they're making out or not. Like it all just like makes this movie, which you probably could have done in about 85 minutes. It pads it out to almost an hour 40 and listeners know, like if your movie is an hour and 38 minutes long, I get angry. I'm like, you could have easily cut eight minutes from this. Yeah. It's interesting though, that you say that because if you look at Jaws and even Jaws two, Those movies are almost two hours or over two hours. Jaws 1 is over two hours. Jaws, or Jaws is over two hours, but Jaws 2 is just under. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not And this is only 99 minutes. It's so, it's weird that there's so much. Like, I. When I feel I watch, like Jaws 2 had a lot of superfluous character development because you had sure. so many teenagers that they were like, oh, everybody's got to have a little backstory. And- yeah. 
And I, I think that that is not too, I think that's a, you can make a strong case for that. I would say that especially when you get to the last act of Jaws and Jaws 2, like they're super fun. And with Jaws, I feel like the story is always moving. And I never get caught up in the fact that it's over two hours long. It doesn't feel over two hours long to me. It feels like it's just right. So it's not like I don't mind. I don't mind a movie that's over two, three hours long if it moves. This one, like you can feel them kind of padding it out. Like they spend a lot of time in that bar scene. And I don't think that that game they're playing where they're pushing each other with the palms. Like, I don't think that's a real game. I've never seen that before. I mean, I think we may have tried it as kids mm-hmm. after seeing Jaws 3, but I certainly didn't know about it beforehand. No. It was I remember slapsies. I remember when you would like put your hands out and someone would put them on top of yours and you would try mm-hmm. to whack their hands. Like I remember stuff like that, but I don't know. <laughs> um but anyway, Dennis Quaid, high on Coke, um, the whole movie. He is married at the time to PJ Souls, who we know from Carrie. We know from Halloween, Rock and Roll High School. He leaves her after having a torrid onset affair with Leah Thompson, who he would go on to date for five years uh, after Jaws. And then he would go from Leah Thompson to Meg Ryan for a number of years. So Dennis Quaid did okay for himself for like yeah. a for like a C minus Harrison Ford. I mean, he did Parent Trap, and mm-hmm. he he did some other movies, but yeah, he's right. never really. I feel like he never took off. Right. He, he was always more space. in the news. He was always more in the news for who he was dating than the movies he was making. Oh, I think he said he even says when he started the date Meg Ryan when they first were dating, like he was the bigger star, and then she does like Sleepless in Seattle. And then she does You've Got Mail. And all of a sudden, she's like a way bigger star than Dennis Quaid. And City it, of Angels. City, yeah. It affected him. He was like, couldn't handle it. Like, could not handle being like the the uh, afterthought the, in the relationship. The arm candy. <laughs> yeah. You know? And look, man, and there he, are. He, did, he eventually did that Reagan movie yeah and, and he was on a he was on a whatchamacallit pawn stars promoting that movie because someone had a reagan poster and so he came on it's so it was so clearly Ugh. like an insert to promote that stinking movie mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which i never saw <laughs> what do you think is the low point jaws 3 or appearing in pawn stars pawn stars yeah yeah probably Jaws 3 is not considered garbage TV. It's considered garbage cinema. And I think garbage cinema is vastly higher than garbage TV. Fair enough. Good point. Good point. So given that we just, like we mentioned, Leah Thompson, who goes on to be a pretty big star throughout the 80s, Lou Gossett Jr., Dennis Quaid, given that list of talent, like shouldn't this just by that nature be a little bit better? I mean, I think it's pretty good. Okay. So I don't know. Like, I think I think they gave it all they could. Got it. I think I think you know a a celebrity can only do so much if the script isn't there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think given that everything they have, I think I think this is a and I've I've actually been on a horror movie panel 
here locally that we all have to pick movies. And this was the one I picked okay. to defend. So I very much have a soft spot for this movie. Okay. I, I, I'm not, like I said, no one's going to ever convince me that it's, it's bad. Yeah. I, I will just always love it. It's, okay. it's fun. Like it's so ridiculous. Like you got the British guy who's got to wear his red, his red mm-hmm. wetsuit so he can, you know, he can be, you know, poor man's Aaron Eckhart from the eighties. Mm-hmm. He he's got to wear his red wetsuit so that he can lure the shark sure. and his friend who they clearly have a homosexual relationship that nobody wants to talk about. Like mm-hmm. there is some definite queer coding in that. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. Like, I think that Jaws three was ahead of its time. She's just saying that two grown men can't have wetsuits and mustaches and there's a lot there's a lot more to that what the way that that guy reacts when the guy does not come back that is how you react over your boyfriend disappearing Mm -hmm. not your buddy okay and i have no problem with that and that is my head canon i I think i think they were secret lovers even though he flirts with women i don't think you're wrong i i wouldn't say that you're wrong at all i think that when you watch that movie, when you watch the movie now, I think that is pretty clear, even though like one of them was clearly hitting on the doctor, but you know, he could be bisexual. He could be pansexual. He, maybe he likes everybody. He could be shark sexual. Like he could, maybe he just wanted to hump that shark at the end of the day. Who knows? What else do you really enjoy about this movie? Like when you, what is something that you see? the tunnels like when they're walking through the attraction mm-hmm. i wanted so badly because i grew up in like north of san diego so SeaWorld was like a field trip that we took yep. every you know almost every year as a kid and i wanted our SeaWorld to have something like this like i thought that that was the neatest thing mm-hmm. i loved the like things jumping out of the walls because this was prior to me being absolutely terrified of anything that jumps out at you mm-hmm. And I just, I, for like, when you see this at 10, that all seems just so cool. And you didn't have rides like you have now at Disneyland. You had like 80s and 90s rides at Disneyland where Indiana Jones was the coolest thing and the most like high tech, you know, I wanted something that was that, you know, Mm -hmm. interactive and... So I think that's a lot of what, and I liked, I loved Leah Thompson at the time, you know, between Back to the Future and Space Camp, like, so she, like, this movie just had all the people that I grew up liking, so mm-hmm. at that point, I was like, oh, Leah Thompson, Space Camp, Louis Gossett Jr., Firewalker, like, this is a movie that I know people in, and so I think when you're 10 and yeah. you don't have that much movie experience, and then you see actors you recognize in from movies you liked that was exciting yep do you think that what do you think the high point is aside from the underwater uh tunnel things like how do you feel like the big set piece on this is probably the shark swimming in the lagoon during the uh water skier show and how do you feel like that scene comes off so tense i love that scene i love when she like leans back and sees the like the shark fin like Mm -hmm. so good and then they all like go flying into the water and they have to get it's so tense it's so tense is the body count a bit disappointing though all things considered like i don't think anyone 
dies. I think Leah Thompson gets chewed on a little bit, and then she they... doesn't get chewed on. She gets shark skin rubbed. Oh, okay. So, I thought she was so as a kid, I was I, as a kid, I was convinced that the shark skin was going to like destroy you. And I don't think it actually, it's more I think like it does paper. do that. Yeah, it can. It does a little bit, but like not to like, with sure. just like if it swam by you and brushed up against you, it wasn't, it's not probably going to cause the same wound yeah. that Leah Thompson had. So more like what you saw in Jaws 2. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought she was in the shark's mouth for a minute. Like she gets lifted out of the water I was assuming I so. that she was in the shark's mouth and it took a bite and it grazed her a bit. I don't think it bites because she just, when she gets out of the water, she only has the side wound. Okay. I thought it was her leg. It's like, well, it's like her thigh, like side, yeah. side thigh, like. But Someone out there is pissed right now. They're like, they can tell exactly where, but okay. Um, yeah, but her and Sean then exit. I think. Yeah, they kind of vanished from the mm-hmm. movie. They're like, and we're done. Yeah. Never to be seen again. It is kind of neat to think of like bumper boats and like a shark coming up and going in. I wish there was a little bit more there. Um, how big is that lagoon supposed to be? I, I couldn't wrap my, because to me, I'm like, well, just drain it, you know, just like get everything out of there and then you'll be all right. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know how and and how big is the shark this shark supposed to be cuz like I remember like in jaws it was like 25 feet, right? Yep. So they never do they ever say how big this shark is supposed to be? I think at be? one point they say it's like 30 to 35 feet. Like it's supposed to be a big honking shark. I do not. It is a pretty and that's why like when you see the baby that when you see the baby shark in this movie, you're like, okay, well, clearly this thing is not the threat. Like, it is far too tiny to yeah. pose any sort of real it's the threat. baby! Yeah. It's so like sad when, when they, that shark dies. Get, that's a sad moment. I mean, it that is, is... It's so sad. I <laughs> And you have, like, all of the patrons, like, one kid starts crying, and, like, you have the dude who's kind of like a Jericho mullet, just, like, shake his head, like, the humanity. How dare you? You know, but not there's thinking a about reason his... that great whites are not in captivity. No, <laughs> things um, belong in the ocean. <laughs> I will say, like the one really cool because it's a pretty low body count movie. You have like the dude at the beginning who gets, and you know that as soon as he like can't chain that fence properly, like oh he's dead. You get like the yeah. two dudes who were in the little uh, inflatable boat and you don't see anything there. They just kind of fall out of the boat and like for comic relief and get eaten. Um, and then at the end of the movie, one of the coworkers dies and they make a really big deal about like everybody got out and everybody is safe. And you're like, well, what about your coworker? That was like, <laughs> shoot, you know, forgetting about him really quickly. Um, the one like really cool death in the movie is probably Philip, the British kind of filmographer who the guy who gets swallowed whole. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I like how that is shot when you're seeing it from like the point of view of being inside the shark's oh, mouth that's, and him. That still gives me the creeps. Like, that uh, that's a, like 
knowing he didn't yeah. die because of the shark bite and he's gonna literally drown in the shark's mouth yep. is like yeah. so awful to me i'm like oh yeah and then him just like the idea that he died because that just rope broke like just a not checking out the equipment and it just human error and i guess he couldn't swim away because it was going against the flow of the tunnels Tunnel. right yeah, yeah like you would be trying to swim upstream at that point and you just weren't going to do that so i don't know that to me was like a pretty cool death um and then it leaves for the end of the movie where he just conveniently is still holding a grenade that mike <laughs> is able to pull out um this movie does have what might be the worst special effect I've ever seen in a movie. And that is when the shark is, I hesitate to even say swimming towards the glass. The shark floats. Right. It is. I still, like, okay. But can we just for a minute, talk about the gloriousness of that scene where it like goes into like slow-mo and everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like my favorite part of the movie. And then, and then when they finally blow the shark up, the teeth, like everything explodes. And then the oh, teeth yeah. come back into like the jaw. And I'm, oh, it's so yep. good. Like we did. This movie in 3D, and we are getting our 3D's money worth. But when that it's shark so is good. coming at the glass, it is like someone got one of those $2, like, plastic bath sharks. And they were just, they just, like, tapped it on the tail to push it towards the glass. And it doesn't move even a little bit. Like, my God, it might and There's be. nothing natural about that, but it's still yeah. one of the best. As a kid, I loved that so so much because I was like, oh, you get to see the shark. Yeah. Herschel Gordon Lewis looks at that effect and is like, come on, man, do better. Like Ed Wood looks at that and is like, really, dude? Come on, you can do better than this. All right. Do you have anything else? I mean, I just say it's a movie of it's a product of its time mm -hmm. and we love it for that. <laughs> we, okay. we love it for we love it for taking yeah. chances i mean and at least the shark doesn't roar like a lion good point we'll i cover mean that next it, week it only gets worse <laughs> all right well i think we're good i think you know we have a nice fun discussion on this like b definition of a b movie and sometimes yeah, it's, these are fun it's a, it's a know. big studio b movie yeah you know and again it it was it it was made for 18 million. It actually costs like 12 million less than Jaws 2. And I think part of it is the, and usually your budgets go up, but I do think a part of it is like you didn't fire a director after 18 months of production and one month of filming. And you're not, you're not filming on the high seas. Like you're actually yeah. in a controlled tank. Um, so that you know, it, it and, and clearly, well. clearly the the shark animatronic was not nearly as advanced. Correct. Yeah. Clearly, at this point, <laughs> it was like it's good enough. It'll work. Print, print, and roll. All right, Sarah. What is going on with Geeks Who Eat, and what other projects are you working on? 
Geek Suite is kind of quiet. We're, you know, Matthew's Matthew's working a lot these days doing security stuffs. Mm-hmm. So Geek Suite has been quiet. And then with all this, like the strike stuff kind of, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't like it's it is content. So we're not doing a lot of content mm-hmm. creation. Okay. Uh, Final Girls Feast um, has been kind of on a quiet hiatus and probably will continue through most of the strike. But mm-hmm. we're, we're going to we're going to look at what we can do okay. that doesn't fall but you know we're just hanging out uh, i'm spooky sarah says is gonna you know probably have more reviews coming up because we can so, do that so anything you're looking forward to um i am seeing cobweb tonight i'm looking forward to that so Enjoy. by the time this airs it will i'll have already seen it so you can check mm-hmm. my letterbox to see if i it was as good as Excellent. i hope it was gonna be and 100 horror movies in 92 days challenge is coming up so Excellent. I will I, be gung ho on that. I quite enjoyed Cobweb. I, I, the the last act of that movie goes for broke, and in a more fair world, this would get the kind of attention that like Malignant or uh, Barbarian got. I don't think it's quite as good as either of those movies, but it's a lot of fun. I think Lizzie Kaplan is doing her best Faye Dunaway and Mummy Dearest. Um, and it's got some great spooky Halloween fall atmosphere. So that's, that's what I heard is it had some really good, like autumnal vibes and I live for that kind of movie. Like I, I like that kind of thing. And I, I'm really disappointed that Lionsgate thought it was a good idea to open that against Barbenheimer, like, or as my husband calls it, Oppenarby. Mm, I have not heard that. Okay. He he tried to make it work, but it was like Mean Girls, you know, like, fetch is never going to happen. Stop trying to make it happen. It Um, didn't happen. uh, But like, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm a little shocked that they didn't just like push that to like August or something like closer to the like autumn season. Got it. And it it doesn't strike me as a summer movie, but I either was Hocus Pocus. So it's, it's a crowded it's a crowded um, fall season. We got like Saw coming up in September. Fair. The Exorcist is coming up. The Nun 2 is coming out. I wonder um, how many of those will get pushed because of the strike. There's already we'll talk of pushing. There's already talk of pushing Dune, Aquaman, yep. and Color Purple. So I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if some of those yeah. horror movies get pushed into like November. Maybe. Just to make up for some of those. I would love to see the exorcist pushed into the garbage can because, Oh my God, that trailer. I haven't watched the trailer. I try not to watch horror trailers anymore because they show every scary moment from the movie. It, it, the it chapter one trailer ruined trailers for me Mm -hmm. forever because every single scary moment was in that trailer. Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, no, I'm just going to not watch trailers. Mm hmm. But I did hear that most of the budget went to Ellen Burstyn <laughs> uh, I could for the new Exorcist. That. I could believe that. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know. After not... I feel like after the last two sequels, I feel like we did not need to revisit the Exorcist. No, and I and I like those sequels. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't do well. No. And so, like, why would we try again? Like, leave it alone. Do uh, new stuff. There are some movies that are very, very difficult to follow up on, and I say the Exorcist is is one of them. I think the, Exorcist 3 is probably the exception. Yeah. And that wasn't supposed to be an Exorcist movie. I mean, that kind of got 
that's why it got shoehorned in. Um, but it started as a not exorcist movie. So, you know, you just made it work basically. All right, listeners for me, you know yes. who I am, you know, it's Mike. We'll be back with jaws four next week. Please make sure to rate review and subscribe to the show everywhere. You get your podcast. If you're listening to us on stitcher, uh, go ahead and follow us on another platform, whether that's Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your sh- uh, other places you can get your show. I think Stitcher is going away soon. Uh, if you like what we've done, go ahead and give us a uh, give us your patronage over at patreon.com pod and the pendulum. We have a new episode up on the killers and I'll have some fanta- early Fantasia and what we're watching coverage up there shortly as well. Uh, and yeah, that is it for this week we hope you've liked our show in jaws 3d and sarah thank you for taking one for the team and joining us today i appreciate every movie every movie you tell me i'm taking one for the team is one that i like so it you know it hasn't it hasn't really been like taking one for the team i love that for you for anyone else for me anyway all right (laughs) we'll be back with jaws 4 next week take care everyone